subcontrario, under the opposite. How often God, or the things of God, are hidden under their opposite. Since we are nearing the end of the church year and our Lord's words and the gospel speak of the end of the age, it behooves us for just a moment to jump back to the beginning and consider that fruit that Eve bid into bringing sin and death to our race. It was, the scriptures say, pleasing to the eye. And it looked good for food. But what was hidden underneath? The opposite. In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Sub contrario. And since our race fell into sin and death by eating, it has pleased our Lord Jesus to restore us to forgiveness and life by eating. But what on earth does he give us to eat? To eat his flesh and drink his blood. What could be worse? What could be uglier than that? Subcontrario. What is hidden therein is the most beautiful and blessed of all gifts. Forgiveness and life given to us by our Savior Jesus. As we think and consider the cross of Jesus, there we recall how our race fell by eating from a living tree and receiving death. And looking at the cross, we see God's wisdom that now we eat that fruit which hangs from a dead tree and gives us life. Things are not as they seem. It is subcontrario, under the opposite form. What form do you see with your eyes if you were to look that Good Friday? You would simply see a single Jewish man on a hillside, dying, tacked to a dead cross. Nothing. Meaningless. A waste but hidden under that appearance, the greatest act of God, salvation, atonement made, not only for each and every one of your sins and mine, but for the sins of the entire world. Subcontrario. How often God or the things of God are hidden under their opposite. And we saw that just last week, didn't we? with a widow who drops her two copper coins. By all appearances, nothing. And Jesus says, that's everything. More than any other, more than all the others who gave. From that episode, we pick up with our gospel text. As Jesus came out of the temple, having just witnessed that widow giving her might, this, by the way, is the very last time that Jesus is in his temple. And it is the very last time that he is leaving it. It is Tuesday of Holy Week. Friday is the Friday in which he gives his life for us. As he comes out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, in effect, sub contrario. 
Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. How did that temple look to their eyes? Permanent, beautiful, lasting forever. Subcontrario, gone in the blink of an eye when the Romans took it down in 70 AD. And if the very temple of God suffers such a fate, what else suffers such fates? Everything else. Everything else that we might look to in this world and say that, if anything, is permanent. Government, economy, congregation, church body, household, me. There is coming a day when all will be cast down, all will be laid aside. And Jesus' emphasis here is on the temple because that temple will be destroyed, and with it we would assume the sacrifices, the lamb whose blood is poured out on the mercy seat once a year, and the high priests who mediate between God and man, the temple itself, the place where sinners can come and find God's mercy, all of it wiped out, an end, subcontrario, a beginning, for our Lord Jesus himself is the new lamb, the Lamb of God slain once and for all to take away the sins of the world. And He is the new high priest, not a sinner, but perfectly righteous in Himself and offering once and for all the sacrifice acceptable to God. And as we read in the Scriptures, His body, He Himself, is our new temple. Still to this day, the place where we sinners may gather and partake of his body and blood and pass through the veil, as it were, into the very holiest of holies, forgiven, loved by God. As Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. And Jesus began to tell them about these last days. He began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. That's of the utmost importance. That's of the first importance. See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, Ego I me, I am that I am. They will claim to be God or to represent a false God. They will claim to be Christ or they will represent a false Christ. And they will lead many astray, Jesus says. But we Lutherans are above all that. We've got our doctrine solved, nailed down. No way could anyone tell us that not only Lutheran theology, but Luther's theology consists of a Christ who did not atone for the sins of the world. In fact, of a Christ who himself was a sinner. Right? Right? See that no one leads you astray, Jesus says. And he continues, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pangs.
things. Wars, earthquakes, famines. Jesus says these are but the beginning of the birth pains. In other words, it's going to get worse. But notice what else he says. These are not just any pains, but birth pains. So again, what appears to us to be an end, disaster piled upon disaster, the creation unraveling, the world coming to its final conclusion, subcontrario, hidden underneath is the opposite, not a death, but a birth. That's what Jesus says, the birth of the new heavens and the new earth, the birth of a new race of which you and I will be part, the firstborn, Jesus himself raised from the dead. So when we think of the fires that have hit California and seem to hit us more and more, when we think of the disasters that befall our country, when we think of the disasters that befall the world, we mourn and we mourn with those who suffer, and yet we mourn as those who have hope. Because we know that no matter how bad it gets, our Lord Jesus says, these are but birth pains. Joy is coming. Rejoicing is coming. And it will be so great that just as the mother forgets the pain when she holds her little baby, so we will forget the pain when we receive in our hands what the Lord Jesus gives. But be on your guard, Jesus warns, for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues. The councils here are Jewish councils, Sunedra. They consist of 23 judges. It was shameful to even get brought before the council. They had the power to scourge you, and the scourging was so severe, they even called it flaying. And Jesus warns that you will be beaten in the synagogues. That is, publicly shamed, excuse me, shamed and humiliated. <clears throat> And that shame and humiliation done as if in service to God in the synagogue. Jesus continues, And you will stand before governors and kings for my, for my sake to bear witness before them, and the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. The suffering and the pain and the agony and the humiliation that the disciples are going to go through, that's it. That's all there is, right? Subcontrario, hidden under this, is glory and exaltation, being conformed into the image of God's own beloved Son, as shining as lights in the darkened world. And these apostles, they're only speaking with human authority, right? Subcontrario. It's not they themselves who speak, but the Holy Spirit, God himself, who speaks through them. That we might be certain that what they say is what God says. Disturbingly, Jesus points out in verse 12 that brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. 
There are only two powers great enough to break the familial bond. One of them is from heaven, and the other is from hell. Here Jesus warns of that power of hell that even breaks the familial bond so that one family member murders another all on account of hatred and despising of Christ. And that's all there is, right? Subcontrario. Under this form of the dissolution of the earthly family is hidden God's creation of an eternal family. These are my mother and my brother, Jesus says, those who do, do the will of my Father. And we know that it is in the waters of holy baptism that we are born into the family of God, having our sins washed away now and forever. So as we see families broken apart by the gospel, we can be sure that a new family, an eternal family, is being created. Finally, Jesus says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. What this means for us is that we need to be getting, we need to be, uh, get used to being hated. We need to get used to being hated. Consider how far the American church has fallen, how it's openly embraced evolution, rejecting the plain word of God so that we can live in a world that is godless. Think of how we've, as an American church, have openly embraced the secular priorities of having our children be anywhere but church if it's more important for their budding athletic or musical careers. Think of how simply the American church, without any fight, has capitulated to the Rainbow Mafia. And why? Because someone held a gun to our head? Because someone threatened us with death? No, because we don't want to be hated. We would rather die than be seen as uneducated, bigoted, backwards, fundamentalists. We must learn to be okay with being hated. Because if the world hated Jesus, it's most certainly going to hate us also. There's not a possible way to be winsome enough to not be hated. If Jesus couldn't not be hated, then we don't stand a chance. So let us repent and go to the hated one on the cross and receive his absolution. And strength therein to endure to the end. What Jesus means is to endure until death. And here's a very simple fact. Every one of us is going to die. Not one of us escapes death. So knowing that, what's the question? Certainly not whether or not you're going to preserve your life, you're not. What's the question? Are you going to be faithful or not? That is the question. The one who endures to the end will be saved, Jesus says. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of eternal life, he says. So it is, according to God's word, sub-contrario. Under the opposite, the death throes of this world are birth pangs. The end is the beginning. Death is but the gateway to life. Your sins are not yours anymore. They're Christ who has taken them all from you. 
And despite all things that seem contrary, Christ reigns. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.